Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Inside the Game of Politics with Pat McCrory is presented by Felix Savatis Mercedes-Benz of South Charlotte, Charlotte's premier Mercedes-Benz dealer and the Carolinas' number one volume sales leader. Over 300 new and 200 pre-owned vehicles always available. Visit mbcharlotte.com. As a governor, mayor, businessman, I know the game. Been played by the game. Now we are exposing the game for you. This is Inside the Game of Politics with Pat McRory. Our guest, Tom Tillis, United States Senator from North Carolina. In 2014, Tom Tillis won election to the United States Senate after defeating Democratic incumbent Kay Hagan in the general election. What's unique about Tom is that he started as a grassroots politician. He was first a town commissioner, and then he ran for the General Assembly, and after only four years in the General Assembly, he became Speaker of the House, Speaker of the House of the ninth largest state in the United States of America, North Carolina. Because of the work he did there, he became very popular throughout the state, and then he ran for the United States Senate. He'll be running for re-election in 2020 in a very important national campaign. Tom Tillis. Our special guest. One question and one question only. Give me a personal example of the good, the bad, and the outrageous in politics. Let's start out with the good in politics. A personal story about the good in politics that people don't know about. Um, I think all the things that happen off the camera that when you're working with uh, really just a broad swath of people. Uh, I worked during the Kavanaugh hearing. I was having, you would have thought that we were just killing each other in judiciary. We were. We had a very different point of view. But in the ante room, I'm having a discussion with Chris Coons, a Democrat from Maryland. Well, explain first what's the ante room. Tell us the inside of the ante room. And we're talking about the Supreme yeah. Court hearings yeah. of uh, Justice Kavanaugh. So right off of the of every committee uh meeting room you have this room called the ante room that's where you go there's a monitor in there you can have meetings when you've got these long hearings you've you've got to try and do other business in between your uh your time speaking and observing everybody else so we meet in there we're talking about chris coons and i were working on something that had to do with intellectual property protections i chair intellectual property subcommittee he's the ranking member Diane Feinstein and I, literally while I was presiding during the Kavanaugh hearing, were having a discussion about immigration. She actually has a left-of-center view of immigration, so we're literally having that discussion when everybody else is battling over the uh, over the nominee. That happens every single day. So during the Kavanaugh meetings, when it looked so heated among the Republicans and Democrats, there were personal attacks. Kavanaugh was getting attacked. Of course, the witness against Kavanaugh Protesters was getting attacked. getting arrested and taken out of the, out of the Interrupting room. Interrupting right. the hearings constantly. Right. Y'all are walking out of the room. We think you're going to 
to your office or to lunch or something, but you're actually trying to get other work done. We're working on other things. And banking committees, another example. I could not be ideologically further away from anybody than Elizabeth Warren. But Elizabeth Warren and I worked on uh, actually a banking bill that was uh, for bad actors in the uh, lending sector. And we were getting that work done. But I, I always make it a point to get to the banking committee. They have a, a they, they call it early bird rules. <laughs> so whoever gets there gets to speak first. And I always make it a point to be one of the last people there so that I can speak after Elizabeth Warren, almost invariably uh, giving a counter to whatever it is she's saying. But then we walk off the floor and we work on military family issues together. I chair the personnel subcommittee. She's on the subcommittee. We've done a lot of military family issues, PTS support for uh, men and women in uniform, this lending bill. That happens every single day. It's a shame that people don't realize that. They'd have, a, I think, a much more positive view of what's going on in the Senate. So everyone talks about the good old day of politics when Tip O'Neill and, and uh, Ronald Reagan and and members of Republicans and Democrats go out for a beer and have dinner. Is that really still happening? No. No, that doesn't. I mean, a lot of the, uh, I think, between C-SPAN and air travel and a lot of other factors, that sort of sense of community in Washington disappeared probably 30 years ago. Wow. Um, but there are opportunities for us to work together on the floor. And uh, and and quite honestly, everybody's, you know, they're getting back to their states. They're, they're involved in other off-campus activities. So there's very little. I, I for one... Once I uh, leave Capitol Hill, the last thing I want to do is talk politics or, or strategy. So I end up uh, going home or going to another event. But on the on the Hill, every day, members are working together across the aisle and getting things done. We never talk about the the uh, unanimous consent, the the number of things that go through the Senate without objection. Those are the kinds of things that I'm talking about that we work on every single day. So when Lindsey Graham was uh, going after the Democrats in uh, the Spartacus moment with uh, the senator from New Jersey, after all that's done and there's this tension in the air, Behind the scenes, are people laughing or people smiling or people oh, having yeah. other conversations? We actually busted uh, Corey's chops over the Spartacus moment. But but I also... Immediate, was that immediate? Oh, definitely. Like in the ante room. It's like, really? Spartacus? <laughs> you know? Yeah, uh, but, but Did he I, know he went too far? Uh, I think after... I think he knew that it was not going to end well when... Uh, when Orrin Hatch uh, actually tweeted a meme that was leaning over to the chair, Grassley saying, you know, because Orrin's uh, getting up there in years, he leaned over to Grassley and the caption said, you know, I knew Spartacus. Uh, <laughs> and, and it just got, I mean, we just, come on, uh, come on, really, Spartacus? Uh, but everyone kind of winks. Yeah. And, and just like when I was governor, you were Speaker of the House of State of North Carolina, you know, we had our disagreements at times, but you know, you'd come over and have breakfast, right. and we'd have great conversations, and we'd agree to disagree. That's how it should work. I mean, back when I was Speaker, some of the best enduring friendships that I have leaving the Speaker's house are with some of the most liberal Democrats that I could actually respect. I said, look, we, we set the agenda now. Your agenda is not going to be advanced, but that doesn't mean that we can't have a friendly relationship and relate to each other at a human level. Same thing happens up in the Senate. So it's not happening as much as it used to in personal life. You don't right. go visit each other's homes no. or apartments or have beer or dinners like the old days. Well, uh, I have a, on a couple of occasions. Uh, Heidi Heidkamp, uh, she was defeated, but uh, she was uh, from North Dakota. Mm -hmm. I've, you know, I've had a couple of occasions where we go out and uh, have barbecue at her house. We actually had a barbecue. It was me, Cory Booker, 
senator from Michigan and my friend, uh, senator from Alaska, Dan Sullivan. So those happen, but they don't happen as frequently as they once did. And really, in the age of air travel and C-SPAN, I think those days are gone forever. Okay, the bad in politics. Give me an example of the bad in politics that makes you even consider not running for re-election at one time. In fact, at one time you said, I don't want to run for re-election of Senate. You've since changed your mind. But give me an example, personal example, of the bad in politics that maybe we don't know about. I think some of it is how quickly people come to judge without information. So it's... it's um, it's you know hearing a segment on pick your favorite cable show and think that that's all the information you need to judge the what what a member of the Senate's doing. Uh, so that's the one bad. But I want to go back to an ugly, and and it's also related to that Spartacus moment. What people didn't realize was going on with Cory Booker and people who went down the line saying that they were going to divulge committee confidential information. What they were doing was destroying the integrity of the committee. Because now what they were saying is, I'm going to judge something that the chair has determined is confidential information, and I'm just going to put it out there for everyone to see. Uh, when you see people willing to stoop to that level to gain some sort of political foothold, we all know Cory Booker's running for president. He was truly thinking he was going to create a Spartacus moment. He thought that what was going to come out of that committee is, I'm the brave person who's going to divulge this information. What he was doing was for political purposes willing to destroy the integrity of the committee. Remind us what that information was. It was it was actually proved to be meaningless. That's why at the moment he was requesting information, you have to go through a clearing process with confidential information. He had requested it a couple of hours before. It was cleared a couple of hours later. There was another meme that says, not really Spartacus, because we think Spartacus didn't end well. Uh, <laughs> the Romans didn't all of a sudden you know, agree to all of his terms and release the documentation, which is what happened. So it was, it was, it, that's the ugly part of Washington, or how people will try and use a 15-second or 20-second um, moment to catapult them into some other position. So the ambition is the thing there that just uh, sometimes drives me crazy because it makes good people do a lot of bad things. In fact, at that point in time, you had several, pre- you had at least three presidential candidates on the Senate Judiciary Committee, all right. Democrats, That's right. running for president. And it looked like to me they were trying to, they were running against each other. In fact, uh, Harris, yep. Senator Harris from California was running at the time, sitting right next to Booker. Booker. And it's like they were trying to one-up each other, and yet they're supposedly on the same side in the Senate. And it, it was it as much of a contest as we saw on TV among the Democrats it trying to get was. the sound bite? Yeah, it absolutely was. And, and, and let's take a look at what they were doing. They were trying to destroy and impugn the integrity of a great person in Brett Kavanaugh. He, they had to go back to yearbook pictures to try and conjure up a narrative because his jurisprudence and all the work that he'd done wasn't enough. Um, and then we found that some of the witnesses were subsequently discredited. We know where Avenatti is now and uh, a lot of the uh, uh, of the other people who were playing into that narrative, but they were willing to, at all costs, destroy a man's career, embarrass and destroy his family for a political outcome. That is the ugliest of the ugly, and you see it from time to time, particularly if you're on judiciary, which is certainly the most partisan committee in all of Congress. When Kavanaugh came out strong in his rebuttal of the witness against him from his high school years, what was the feeling among the members while listening, both Republicans and Democrats, behind the scenes when 
you know, we see one thing on TV, but being in person and being one of the elite senators, which you are, everyone's, you know, there are only a hundred of you. What was the feeling of the board while he was talking? Were people going in the back going, he, he's screwing up, or were people going, he's got it? No, actually, there were, you know, the, the prior hearings, because you have to keep in mind, that's when he came back. Right. We saw Judge Kavanaugh in the prior hearings. Right. What we saw was a father and a husband mm-hmm. and a man defending his reputation. So we had some people in the Democrat, how dare he speak to us like that? And I, in my comments, I said, how dare y'all speak the way that you did to him? Right. He's not coming back here trying to prove that he's a good judge. We all know that he is. Just take a look at his jurisprudence. Take a look at his opinions. He's here to defend himself because at the end of the day, regardless of how this nomination goes, he's still going to be a father, a coach, a husband, a brother, and he deserves the opportunity to take on the people who have tried to destroy his reputation. And I thought he did an extraordinary job. It was like it was like drinking a Red Bull. It was energizing to me. I've noticed in my career as a city councilman, mayor, and governor, when someone becomes a witness to people behind a dais, the people from behind the dais forget that the person they're interviewing is human and almost believe we're smarter than you because we're looking down on you. Is it tough to, do you get caught up in that temptation or do you see some of your peers get caught up in that that I, temptation of I, I, i'm yeah. a senator i'm behind this dais i'm looking down at you of course you're reading the notes they're not and you almost forget that it's this is an unnatural event yeah well number one that's why i never read notes uh that's why my staff put together all these briefers i let them submit the uh, mm-hmm. questions for the record but that's that's why I spend a lot of time in the hearings. In the, uh, in the Gorsuch and Kavanaugh hearings, I was in all but probably 45 minutes of the hearings in total. So not just when I'm speaking, but I'm right. listening. Right. And then that instruct. I want to have a conversation with them and, uh, and also want to provide an opportunity. A lot of times I pay attention to questions that other members ask, and then they cut them off and don't let them answer it. Right. So I'll go back and say, you didn't get a chance to answer this one. Would you like to now? And that's a lot of fun because – the member wants to have it lingering out there. When he gets a chance to answer, they want to butt in, but I have the floor. So the chair will say, would you like, Would you yield so that Senator Booker could ask follow-up? I says, is my time? Yes, no. Go on. So you give Kavanaugh, in that case, a chance to answer the question. You do that in other committees. So Does the chairman ever go during these hearings, will you ask your damn question instead of just giving us a lecture? Because they're each given five minutes, and they say, well, five minutes is enough time to ask the question. That's because they're spending the whole time asking the question. Yeah, well, we actually, I've, I've sometimes bet the over-under on how long it's going to take. Uh, to, we've got one member I've, I've always gotten right. I said five-minute round, four-and-a-half-minute intro, and then maybe a question at the end. And so I, I do with my staff. I say, okay, we got to set the line. And uh, they do that because they're, they're looking for that C-SPAN, that B-roll moment. Uh, they've already made up their mind in judiciary these days. They've just, it's completely descended and into... And that's the bad in politics. Shirts and skins. Yeah, it's a shame. Um, so, you know, for, for the, the chair, though, you got to let... If it's your five minutes, you, can, you could read, uh, you know, Dr. Seuss if you wanted right. to. Um, and there's really no control over that. But what, and, and actually, I think in many cases, the chair gives too much deference to even running overtime. Right. And you see that. You'll see that with uh, Hirono and others, that they'll wait until the last minute and then try and 
go over sometimes twice their time. I always try to stay within my limits. And then if we have a second round, I come back for a second round. Okay, I've got to ask you as a follow-up, give me a funny or outrageous in politics. And there might even be a President Trump in the story. You meet with the president constantly in the Oval Office. There's got to be an outrageous or funny that we don't know about behind the scenes when meeting with the president or anyone else you'd like to select. Well, I, I will tell you, the I would never share any sort of private discussions with the president, but he's a really funny guy. And, and the thing that's most impressive about him is when we're in the Oval Office, it could be maybe four or five senators meeting with the president. Um, it's remarkable how much crosstalk there is. It's not like he's holding court. He really likes having a discussion that goes all different directions. You know, you're so on the one hand, he's the president of the United Does States. Does he stay behind the desk? Uh, no, no, he's never. He gets um, up on the couch. Or yeah, it's always chair it's always down in the uh, in the uh, sitting area. But he's uh, but he's very very engaging and very very funny um, and <laughs> and. Uh, so that's what they. I tell you the one thing that I do like doing in the Senate is I'm a, a chronic practical joker. I have probably I, if a week goes by without a good multi pillar, highly complicated uh, practical joke, then I've I've not uh, kept my. So quote what's up. the best practical joke you've done, and who did you do it to? Well, the probably the epic practical joke was on my staff when I was fairly new. These staff are always trying to take care of you. They think you're going to make a mistake or you right, don't know what right. you're voting yeah, on on the floor. Yeah. And honestly, sometimes they may not. But um, <laughs> but there was this one no-brainer vote. And it was with a new chief of staff who didn't know me and some of the staff I brought up from the speaker's office. And I built a great relationship with the parliamentary staff, the cloakroom staff, and the leaders. So I went in and I said, guys, I want to play a complex, multi-pillar practical joke on my staff. So I voted, but I've asked the I've asked the clerk not to read off my vote, so that when they go through, uh, they don't get they didn't hear my my vote, which right. was the right way. Then I went to the cloakroom. I said, "Now you've got to call my chief and tell him that somehow I was angry. I looked at, didn't know what was going on. Think <laughs> he voted paranoid anyway. Think he voted the wrong way. So you may want to track him down." And I I stayed in the cloakroom because that'd be the last place they thought they'd be uh, looking for me. My phone starts blowing up, and then I go to the leader's office. And I had uh, the secretary of the Senate call in and say, you need to get in touch with your boss before we close down the vote. These people were going crazy. (laughs) And I let that stew for about 10 minutes. Then I go back to my office, and uh, Mark Warner from Virginia and I were on the train back over to Dirksen Building, and I just grabbed Mark to have a random conversation with him to make it look like I was having a serious conversation. My staff were in the glass hallway on the other side going, trying to get my attention to get me back to the Capitol. I let it go upstairs and let it let it simmer for about another two minutes, and they finally reach me. They're out of breath. They look like this Keystone cops and say, <laughs> "You've got to change your vote." I said, "Well, I voted yes. Do you want me to change it to no?" I thought we were going yes on this one, <laughs> and. And, and they uh, all resigned the next day. Then, then they all realized that they had been duped by the parliamentary staff, the cloakroom, the leader's wow. office, and yours truly. Uh, you but, know, I had a similar story where I we had a bet during one of my governor's campaign that uh, we were all trying to go on a diet not to eat a chocolate chip cookie. So the first person who eats a chocolate chip cookie has to pay $10. Mm. So we went on and on and on, no chocolate chip cookies. And finally, I called a special meeting, and I walked in. No one knew why I called the special meeting. And I got, and they all lined up, everyone in the campaign. I said, I've got to confess something, and it's going to be in the newspaper tomorrow. And I've already spoke to my wife about it, and I just want to apologize. I've just broke down. I was tempted, and I made a mistake. And (laughs) 
they didn't. They thought I was talking about something other than chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> they were literally sending out their resumes for new jobs. They were. I was starting to cry and get emotional about it. I'm so sorry. I apologize. I, I I've let everyone down, including my family. That's the best, isn't it? And then I threw out a ten dollar bill and I said, "You son of a bitches! You got my ten dollars out of chocolate chip cookie last night." And I had him hook, yeah. line, and sinker. Well, we've done that, boy. Don't don't even get me started on so all Tom the ones Tillis, I did we're going to end by saying one thing. Um, first, thanks for your public service, but you thought about not running yeah. again for public service. Yeah. Why? Well, you know, I got into this kind of late. I've been doing uh, elected office for about twelve years, and last year, thinking about my family, the time I spent away from Susan, I got a had at that time a, about a year old grandbaby, and. Um, just really decided maybe this was something that uh, that I should pass on to someone else. But the uh, the reality is, if you look at our state and you have an open seat, this is almost certainly going to be won by a Democrat. And when you take a look at the future of the judiciary, you take a look at continuing um, what I think is a very strong legacy. Now that Trump's been in, uh, gotten into office, um, I could not live with the thought on election night of us coming up a vote short and it be in my seat. I just couldn't do it. And so that's why I decided I'd make another uh, another pass at it and make sure we do our part. I've been spending the last four years helping Republicans get reelected all over the country, uh, but we've only got a three-vote margin. Do you think got- most senators think this after six years? No, no. I, th- I think most, uh, most want to be here for a long time, but uh, I don't intend to be here for a long time. I... Um, I believe in term limits. I believe in turnover. And until we can actually have statutory changes, I'll just do my part to not be there for I'm, – I'm, I'm there for a good time, not a long time. U.S. Senator Tom Tillis, former Speaker of the House of State of North Carolina, former Parks Commissioner, I think, in Mecklenburg County. Park and Rec. Park and Rec Commissioner. <laughs> congratulations on all you do, and uh, thank your wife, Susan, for and your family. And congratulations on being a granddad, too. That's the most awesome job ever. Thanks for being on Inside the Game of Politics with Pat McCrory. Thanks for listening to Inside the Game of Politics with Pat McCrory. To contact the show, email Show at WPT.com. You can hear more from Pat every weekday morning from 8 to 10 on News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WPT or at WPT on Radio.com. Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS.